home. Welcome home to those that are at home today online. And we're excited for today. I love that song that we just sang because it's true, you know. We're going to see a victory. Um, the Bible tells us how things end. And you just need to be encouraged today, no matter what you're dealing with, God is with you. And He wants to be close to you. And that gives us hope today. We're actually starting a, a brand new series today called Family Issues. Can we say that together? Family Issues. And I don't know about you, but when I hear the word family issues, a lot of times it'll create tension for people when we talk about family issues because all families have issues. Amen? <laughs> all families have issues. And when we think of the word family, we think of it within the context of maybe our immediate family or possibly our extended family. Probably most of the time when we say family issues, we don't think about church family. But this series is a little bit less about our immediate and extended family and more about the family of God. And we're going to be looking at some issues that seven different churches or families of God had in Revelation, which is the last book in the Bible. So if you have your Bibles or if you want to follow along in the Church Center app, if not, we, we've got it on the screen. But we're going to be parking in Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3 for the next several weeks looking at some church family issues that these seven churches that God writes to are having. Um, he starts out each letter that he writes to each one of these churches with some things that they're doing well. Some of you have maybe had a talk with your kid who plays a sport and they didn't really play that well. And they come up to you and they say, hey, dad, hey, mom, how do you think I played? And in the back of your mind, you're like, you played terrible. Okay, but you can't say that. <laughs> so you're like, well, you know, you were there <laughs> and I could tell you hustled and, you know, <laughs> and then, but maybe here's some things we need to work on. Well, God starts his first letter because we're going to just tackle one church at a time over the next few weeks. But he starts his first letter to the church in Ephesus with the things that they're doing well. And here's what he says. He says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. And everybody in here and online saying, what in the world does that mean? Well, when you study it, the seven stars are the messengers or the prophets and the seven churches are the seven lampstands. So when it's talking about the stars, it's talking about the messengers. And when it's talking about the lampstands, it's talking about the churches. And so he starts off with some compliments with the, the things we talked about earlier, some things they're doing right. And they're actually some pretty good compliments. He says, I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they're apostles, but they aren't. And you have discovered that they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. So he basically tells them, hey, you guys have been patient. You're hardworking. You don't tolerate sin and things that, you know, go against what, what I want. And so I want you to know I appreciate those things. I see those things, and I thank you for those things, and I recognize those things. But then he has some things that they need to work on, some complaints that he has about them. And we're going to look at this list today and see how it even fits in 2022. He says, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at what, church? At what? He says, you don't love me like you did at first. And he says, look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me 
and do the works that you did at first. He says, if you don't repent, I will come and remove your church or lampstand from its place among the churches. He says one more thing to the Ephesian church. He said, but this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans. Uh, the Nicolaitans were an abomination to Christ. They are Gnostics and other false teachers. They abused the doctrine of grace and tried to introduce debauchery into its place. So when it says Nicolaitans, that's what it's talking about. He says, just as I do, any with, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. We're going to set the baseline here for a little bit, so we have a little bit of reading here. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Okay? And then, so that's our scripture today. So he's talking about telling them, basically, that you're patient, you're hardworking, but you've lost your first love, you've lost your zeal for me, and that's basically what he's saying is, I'm no longer first in your life. You've put something else first in your life. Now, anytime you're reading a Bible, sometimes you'll come across something and you'll be like, I don't even know what that means. And there's something called commentaries that help you unpack what that means. And this is a commentary that kind of helps us understand what the scripture we just read is before we get into the meat of today. Here's what it says. It says, the church of Ephesus is commended for diligence and duty. Christ keeps an account of every, work, every hour's work his servants do for him, and their labor, labor shall not be in vain in the Lord. But then he says, it's not enough that we're diligent. I mean, that's good when we're diligent, but there's more to it. There's bearing patience. I mean, we understand this when we get married. For those of you who think that marriage is all sunshine and roses and everything's great all the time, it's not the way it is, right? But at the same time, marriage can be rich and rewarding, but it's, it's work. We have to bear patience. And there must be waiting patience. There's bearing patience. And then there's waiting patience. And a marriage and the same with the Lord. And though we must show all meekness to all men, at the same time, we must show just zeal against their sins. So basically what he's saying is, you're doing a really good job of giving people grace. And you're doing a really good job of receiving grace. You're good at the easy love, <clears throat> but you're not doing a very good job with the tough love. Now, maybe some of us know parents or grandparents who are really good at giving their kids what they want and, and just always being real good to them and, and doing those kinds of things. And that's good. That's important to give grace because we've been given grace. Amen. This is grace. When Jesus died on the cross, it's grace. But we also know that love is not just soft, it's also tough. And there's times where we have to look at our kids and say, you're not getting that, or you're not doing that, or no. And in our walk with the Lord, there's times where God's word will rebuke us when we read it. Kyle, you can't say that. You can't act like that. You blew it. A lot of times it's the Holy Spirit. And then there are the other times where God will call us to be honest with someone in love that we have a relationship with. The sin Christ charged in this church is not having left and forsaken the object of love. Here it is. But having lost the fervent degree of it that it first appeared. You guys remember that song, You've Lost That Love and Feeling? Okay. Do you want me to sing it? I'm just kidding. I'm not doing it. <laughs> John, much to your dismay, I'm not going to sing that song, okay? We know that song, you've lost that love and feeling, okay? 
that's kind of what really if at the bottom of this is about today is this church had lost its zeal and its passion and they were just going through the, mo- the motions. They were being faithful. They were doing those things right, but they had lost their passion and their zeal. Christ is displeased with his people when he sees them grow remiss and cold towards him. Surely this mention in Scripture of Christians forsaking the first love reprimands those who speak of it with carelessness and thus try to excuse indifference and sloth in themselves and others. Our Savior considers their indifference as sinful. We're almost done with this. They must repent. They must be grieved and ashamed for their sinful declining and humbly confess it in the sight of God. So just bring this home for a minute. A lot of moms and dads are busy. Whitney and I used to go out on a date once or twice a week when we didn't have kids. But we have three, and now instead of dating each other, we're taxi cab drivers, where we drive everyone everywhere, and all we do is drive people everywhere. And at the end of the day, you're so tired that you just go to bed. Can I get an amen? Okay? And what happens is, is if we're not careful, that will continue to be the relationship. In order to have the zeal that you had in the beginning, it's an intentional thing. We all get that. Even of those who maybe have been divorced before or struggling, we, we also get that. If you're in that situation, you get that. So we understand that concept, and that same concept works in our relationship with God. Some of you know people, or maybe it was you, they came to the Lord, and they're in relationship with Him, and they're growing, and they're learning, and God is moving in them. And then something in their life gets hard, or someone in their life becomes stupid. You all know people like that sometimes. And instead of leaning towards God and trusting in God more, we do the opposite of that. And that's what takes place. And so what we're seeing here in this, with this church is we're seeing that they need to repent of that and come back to their first love. Listen, they must endeavor to recover their first zeal, tenderness and seriousness, seriousness and must pray how, church? Earnestly and watch as diligently as when they first set out in the ways of God. Indifference as to truth and error, good and evil, may be called charity and meekness, but it is not so, and it is displeasing to Christ. Okay? I think we're wrapping it up. The Christian life is a warfare against sin. And if, you don't, if we don't realize that, or maybe we've forgotten that, we need to realize that. The Bible talks about the seen and the unseen. And there's a spiritual warfare taking place. If you don't think there is in our world today... I would just tell you, Scripture would argue otherwise. Satan, the world, and the flesh, we must never yield to our spiritual enemies, and then we shall have a glorious triumph and reward. So that was a lot there that I just gave you. I realized that. But here's what it means in a paragraph, okay? All of that to say this. The church in Ephesus had forsaken God as their first love, and in losing their zeal for God... They had lost the zeal to live set apart from sin and to teach others to do the same. So here's what we can get from that today. I've got, I think, three thoughts this morning. Here's the first one. Keeping God first in our life 
happens how? Intentionally rather than naturally. Let's read that. Keeping God first in our life happens intentionally rather than naturally. Now, this morning, I, I, I don't know how many weddings I've done. I've done several. And one of the things that we always have in the little script that we do when people are getting married is forsaking all others as long as you both shall live. And they'll look at each other in the eye, sometimes emotionally, and they'll say, for richer, for poorer, you know, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others till death do us part. It's really a blessing and an honor just to stand there and watch whoever's getting married say that to each other. It's meaningful. And you know, when we invite Jesus into our heart and we ask him to be the Lord of our life, we are forsaking all others above everyone and anyone. And while that's what scripture tells us to do and what as a believer we're striving to do, life is happening at the same time. Similarly to when I explained how life happens and you quit dating your spouse. It, I mean, you don't date your spouse naturally. If you've been married any length at all, you don't date your spouse naturally. You date your spouse intentionally if you're going to keep dating them. You're going to keep courting them. You're going to keep hanging out with them. Because life doesn't lend itself to that. And the reality is, in our walk with God, it's no different. You're not going to wake up. We're not going to wake up every morning saying, God, I hunger for your word. <coughs> Excuse me. I shared in the first service when I got Witt's number and we started talking to each other in college. We would talk on the phone. I don't talk on the phone, okay? But we would talk on the phone for however long and, and get to know each other. Now she'll call and I'll be like, yeah, uh-huh, right? Yeah. Okay, milk, I'll get it. Yep. Things change, things evolve, things grow, and that's normal. But at the same time, we tend to just have these little conversations with God. Lord, bless this food. Lord, help my friend. Lord, be with me. And there's nothing wrong with that. <coughs> but God wants more than that. He wants relationship. He wants us to trust him. Listen to what God says. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Let's read it together. This is the first the first and the greatest commandment. You know, in our lives, um, we sometimes don't always pinpoint where the real source problem is. We think it's with this person or we think it's with that person. Or we have an attitude that's bad or we know somebody else has had an attitude that's bad. You know, really, when you look at the very bottom and at the base of all of those things, most of the time, the real issue isn't them or you. It's where you or them have ranked God on the list. Like, listen to this quote. As God is exalted to the right place in our lives, let's read it, a thousand problems. I love that quote. As God is exalted to the right place in our lives, a thousand problems are solved all at once. You know that grudge that you have against someone or that grudge that they have against you? Imagine if they put God very at the tip top 
of the pyramid. And at the same time, you put God at the tip top of the pyramid. How would that change the situation? Take marriage problems, for example. What would happen in a marriage that's struggling if husband and wife simultaneously, forget the spouse for a second, if the husband put God at the very top of his priority and the wife put God at the very top of their priority and now they have a conflict because conflict isn't unhealthy. You want to go to Taco Bell, they want to go to McDonald's, that's conflict. It doesn't have to be an ugly one, but just conflict in general. You have conflict, you disagree, there's things going on in your life, but you both have God at the top of the list. How does that change things? Now, God is, is tempering what you say, and God is tempering what they say, and God is telling you to, to compromise, and God is telling them to compromise. A lot of the issues that we have in our life aren't because of the issue we're looking at, it's because we have not put God first. In Ephesus, God was always on their list. They were diligent. They were hardworking. I mean, if you were to put that today, they served on the church board. They cut the grass at the church. They maybe even, you know, invited folks to church. But their prayer life probably stunk. And they weren't really trying to seek God to change them. We must always be zealous in striving to please and glorify God. So I don't know about your parents or your grandparents, but my wife's parents, especially my mother-in-law, is zealous about her grandkids. I mean, if we go to their house, I made you chicken strips because I know you don't like anything else. I made you this. I got you that. Now, now you don't, you know, she's always just trying to find out what pleases the kids. And I'm like, you, they're not going to learn to eat whatever if you're always just giving them what they want. Sorry, dealing with personal stuff up here. <laughs> but the one thing I will tell you, that I admire about her, lots of things I admire about her, but one of the things. It's very clear that she loves her grandkids. And you can tell it, you can see it the way that, and you can see how much she loves them by how they respond to her. And what if we had a passion to please God the way that grandparents sometimes have a passion to love on their grandkids? I know that may be a silly analogy, but I don't think so. Listen to this. Carefully determine what pleases your grandchildren. No, it doesn't say that. Let's read it. Carefully determine what... Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. The Lord. Let's read the very first word. Ready? Carefully. Carefully. Here's another thought. This is a big one. This one actually, I know that you guys are reading this today, but God kind of spanked me with this one myself. So I just want to say that. Tolerating complacency in our walk with God is a spiritual cancer 
that is both contagious and what? <clears throat> Man, complacency is, is something that's easy for something easy that takes place. It can happen easily. We get complacent in working out. We get complacent in our marriage. We get complacent in our relationships. And honestly, because of COVID, we can get complacent and not come to church. Or we can get complacent and just not want to serve. Or we can just get complacent. And complacency, you know, they say that you hear the term marijuana is the gateway to harder drugs. Those of you who understand AA and how that works, you know what I'm talking about. Complacency is the gateway to sin and black backsliding and going down the wrong road. The same way that marijuana is the gateway to other drugs, complacency is the gateway to falling off of your relationship with God and maybe even going down the wrong road. Listen to what Paul says in, to, the, to Ephesus. He says, take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, let's read it. Expose them. So this morning, what Ephesus, they got so complacent and so tolerant of other people's sins, and, and they began to become ineffective. And you know, I think in the culture that we live in today, the enemy wants to do everything that he can to neutralize the voice of the church. And I was thinking back, because part of our job as believers is to not only give grace to people, but also in relationship. No one likes bullhorn guy that's on the corner telling people what they're doing wrong. No one likes that guy, and no one responds to that. But sometimes when we're in relationship with someone... God may call us in love, say that with me, in love, that's important, to speak truth. And if we're following Jesus and we're listening to him, there are going to be times where he's going to call us to give grace, and there's going to be times where he's going to call us to give truth, and a lot of times it's both. I want to share a story about in my life where somebody spoke truth to me. So for those of you who don't know, I have three other siblings. My brother Jade is two years younger than me. He's a pastor in Maryland. And growing up, I'm just being honest, I would pick on him and just the whole brother thing. And when I was in high school, for those of you who don't know, I've always grown up around church. I wasn't always following God, but my parents always made me go to church. So when I was a kid, I didn't have a choice whether I want. If I had a choice, I probably wouldn't have come. But when you're a kid, your parents tell you, you know, you're going, then I went. And when I was in high school and even in college a little bit, I made some stupid choices and my brother had a front row seat to that because he lived with me. And so he would kind of see how I'd act around my parents and then how I would act somewhere else. And he finally got sick of it. And it was actually very brave of him because he knows that I don't, wouldn't tolerate anything from him. I was not a very good brother when I was younger. But he was in love with Jesus. He was zealous for God. He... he was trying to please God. And he knew that I was just being a fake and just whatever. And one day we were in the living room. My parents were gone at work and it was just us two. And I don't, I don't even remember what I said. I said something and I could tell, you know how somebody's been holding something inside and they're just sick of it. They don't want to listen to it anymore. They've tried to be kind about it, but they just can't anymore. And he had that look on his face and he, face, and he looked right at me and he said, 
you are a big phony. Now, if, if somebody else would have told me that, I wouldn't receive it. But this is somebody who'd earned the right in my life. Does that make sense? And I just looked at him like I was going to go after him. But really, inside, I was like, oh, man, he hit it right on the head. And he goes, you can get mad at me and hit me if you want or whatever. But I just want you to know something. You aren't living for God. And you're, mom and dad raised you better than this. And, and, and as angry as I wanted to get, his zeal for the Lord and his sincerity was overriding how I was, my pride, I guess. And the Holy Spirit used that moment where he wasn't just giving me grace with his words and letting me make bad decisions. He loved me enough that he started speaking truth to me. And I sat there and he, for the next five to ten minutes, my I started softening towards him, and he began to say, Kyle, you, you got to get right with the Lord. This is the big problem. You think it's this or that, or life's giving you a bad hard shake or whatever. It's none of those things. You aren't right with God, and you know it, Kyle. And, you know, I was the older brother. You know, you don't, and I just, I'm just like, and I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit came in that room and convicted me. And I began to get emotional. And he prayed with me. My brother, my younger brother, prayed with me on that. We just, on a couch right there in the living room. I will never forget Jade's zeal for me to come to Christ. He was facing, he was willing to risk my, risk my persecution or me making fun of him because he wanted to do what God wanted him to do. I share that with you today because one of the things that we tend to do as believers is, and just people in general, we want to fit in. We have that, like we secretly believe that God can change lives, but we're certainly not going to tell anyone that. And we're certainly not going to challenge anyone on their behavior because then they'll think that we're judging. And I want to tell you today, if we're walking around with a finger in our air pointing at people, that's not what I'm talking about. And that's certainly not what God wants us to do. But I do believe there are divine appointments like the appointment that my brother just had with me when I was sharing that with you from when I was a kid. Where God will say, hey, you've been working with this person for the last 15 years and I keep telling you to invite him to church and every single day you don't do it. Hey, you know for the longest time your aunt or your uncle or your whoever doesn't know Jesus and you've had this like burden for them. Where do you think that burden came from? I've been giving you that burden, God says. And you want to know why you're complacent in other areas of your life? Because you're not obeying what I'm telling you to do. And God's not going to make a mistake. If God tells us to do something, he's not going to all of a sudden say, well, you know what? I shouldn't ask you to do that. God is God and he knows better than we do. So when he asks us to do something and we don't do it, how are we going to grow in our faith? We're going to become complacent. That's just math. That's just the way it works. But the more that we honor God and the more that we listen to his voice, he begins to use us more and more, and we get become filled with zeal again because we're being faithful. Some of you are generous financially, and God will tell you to give something to somebody, and you'll do it. Some of you have been practicing honoring God all the time, and so it's nothing to you just to listen to his voice and obey. But others of us 
Or maybe even those people who always do what God says, it's easy for you to do it in this area, but what about this area? Now, I'm not here to make any of us feel bad this morning. None of us, there's no perfect person here. There's no perfect person online. But we are called to be faithful followers. And we are called to give grace to people. Some of us are so judging and truth-telling, and you're not, you, you, you need to do the opposite. You don't ever give anybody any grace, and God's calling you to do that. But when he's talking to this church in Ephesus, he's saying that you've lost your zeal because you begin to tolerate what's going on around you. Well, I don't tell any dirty jokes, Pastor. But you, laugh, but you laugh at them. Well, I, I, I'm not making their decisions. I'm not making their decisions. They're the ones that are making those bad decisions. But you've had a front row seat day after day, and you've never shared the hope that you have. Our youngest son, Luke, loves to share some of our other siblings may not like to share so much, but Luke loves to share. He'll give you anything. He loves to share. Man, you want to know the best thing we could ever share with someone is the hope of Jesus. Is the light that he can make in someone's life. You want to know what turns people who don't know Jesus away? It's not Christians. It's complacent Christians. The people that turn people away are those who act like they love Christ, but they don't act like they love Christ. We can spot a genuine article. <clears throat> when you see someone who's filled with love and grace and truth, that doesn't turn you off. What would happen if we would put God at the top of our list. See, our principle today is be intentional about keeping God first in your life. Now, if this was a marriage conference, Pastor Adam's in Columbus today, but him and Sarah wrote this marriage retreat stuff. It's really good. It's called All-Star All Star Marriage, and it talks about dating your spouse, that we're called to date our spouse and spend time with our spouse, and we're to honor our husband and and lay our life down for a while. And it's good stuff. It's biblical stuff. <coughs> Excuse me. But somehow we can appreciate that. But we tend to neglect the most important relationship, even above a husband and wife relationship. And that's our relationship with God. What if we just prayed this? We're getting ready to start Pray 21 tomorrow. And in just a little bit when we do announcements, I'll tell you about that. But what if we just started tomorrow praying this prayer every day? Listen to this. Now, if you know this, don't dismiss it because you know it. It's still good. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Okay, here's where he starts to really get us. 
point out anything in me that offends you. See, grandmas and grandpas and, you know, we all know people who you got to be, you got to walk on eggshells around them. You know, you got to, you got to watch what you say around them. They're going to get hurt. They're going to get offended. They're going to get mad. You know, they're always pointing out. But I mean, but, but, but God, we know God, we love God. God died for us. It's not that we're trying to walk on eggshells around God. It's that we love Him and we want to serve Him. And we say, God, point out anything in, in me that offends you. You know, when you fall in love with someone, you really love them and you care about them. You don't want to hurt them. You want to please them. You don't want to rain on them. You want to, what can I do? And point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. I would contend today that what's wrong in our world, what's wrong with marriages, what's wrong with families, what's wrong in general, is that we have forsaken our first love. And for the believers, it's not that God's not on the list. Probably everybody in here, they couldn't, someone couldn't pay you to denounce God. You would never denounce God. You believe in Him, that's why you're here. Or you're watching online. So while you wouldn't denounce him, you might tolerate him not being on the top of the list, maybe just being on the list. Man, what would happen if you were in an argument or a disagreement with your spouse or a disagreement with someone, but God was on the, at the top of your list and God was on the top of their list? How quick would you forgive each other? If God was on the top of your list, how quick would you be to look at something, some image on the internet you're not supposed to look at? If God was on the top of, of the list and he asked you to invite someone to church or he asked, someone to, asked you to share your faith with someone, how long would it take you to answer him to be obedient to that if God was on the top of the list? Which leads to a question today for all of us online as well. This isn't anything new, but it's important. Let's read it together. Is God first above everyone and everything in your life? Is God first above everyone and everything in your life? So I just want to ask you this, okay? Because when we hear messages like this, here's what we do. We think of who's not here that needs to hear it. Or I hope the person sitting next to me hears this. Can I just encourage you all, don't do that. This is for me. This is for you. This is for each one of us that's watching and sitting in here. I'm asking you, not the person next to you, not the person you wish we could hear it. I'm asking you today. If this was your last day on earth, if you left this church and was killed in a car accident on the way, this is like the most important question that I could ever ask you from my perspective. Is God first above everyone and everything in your life? Just because there's as many of us here and as many online, someone is saying, I don't know, I'm not asking that question. 
Some of us are saying, well, as far as I can tell, I think so. And then maybe some of us are saying he's not. He's not first. And if you don't want God to be first on your list, then I can't really do much with that other than tell you I would encourage you to consider it. But if you would say today, he's not first on my list, but I would like him to be. If that's you, then you don't need to sit around and be stressed out and freaked out. In fact, the times in my life where I've had to go to my wife and apologize, I wasn't stressed out and freaked out. I just needed to go talk to her and make it right. When I was too hard on my oldest son, I didn't stress out and freak out. I went and said, opened the door to his room, said, hey, put your phone down. I need to talk to you a minute. What I said to you, I don't take back, but how I said it, I could have said it differently, and I'm sorry for that. See, when, we're, when, we, when God gives us like this feeling in our bodies that makes us feel convicted or bad, it's not to make us feel like we're a bad person. It's just to help us realize we need to do the right thing. And so this morning, if you're online or you're here and you're thinking, man, something else is more important than God, what do I need to do? Well, the first thing you need to do is acknowledge it, right? If you go to an AA meeting, the first thing you got to do is admit, I got a problem. That's just, I mean, that's just well known. So the first thing you need to do is you got to acknowledge that, right? So you'd have to acknowledge that God isn't first. So you just simply talk to God and say, God, I want you to be first, but I, I want you to know you're not. And I'm sorry. And the second part of that is we have to repent of that. Now, when we hear the word repent, we think of all these different things, but here's really what repent means. It means not only that you're sorry, but that your heart is to never do that again. doesn't mean you're perfect, but that you're going to try and, and strive to please the Lord. To say, God, I repent. I'm going to stop putting this person or this saying or this addiction or whatever it is above you. And I'm going to ask that you would help me with that. And then, when we start that fire, right? My youngest son and I like to watch these YouTube videos of these survivalists. They'll go out and live off the land and start these fires and stuff. And it's important to start the fire, but you want to know what's even more important than starting it? Is keeping it lit, right? You got to give it oxygen. And you got to keep adding wood to it. Now, God never gives up on us. Aren't you glad? Even when we're not how we're supposed to be with him, he still loves us. But for us to have that zeal that he desires for us to have, we have to decide the same way that you work out when you don't feel like working out. We have to decide that we want to spend time in prayer with God, even when we don't feel like it. Even when you just got into an argument with someone in your car on the way to church. Or you just, something bad has happened in your life. No matter what's going on, like the postal service, rain, snow, or shine, you are going to pray and you're going to talk with God and you're going to ask him for help. Whether you blew it or you had a good day, you're going to talk with Jesus. 
And you're also going to understand, too, that relationships do change. I don't have to talk on the phone to my wife for three hours for her to know that I love her. And that doesn't mean we're not close if we don't talk on the phone for three hours. But at the same time, if we haven't been out on a date in five years, maybe it's time to do that. We don't have to have feelings every time we pray to God, but if it's been a long time since you felt his presence, it's okay to say, God, I need to feel your presence. And it could be that part of the reason you're not feeling his presence is because you have some sin in your life that you've not given God permission to look at, or you, he's told you about it, but you're not doing anything to change it. And we're blaming God saying, well, God's not close to me. Well, when we deal with this, it'll make a big difference. So this morning, as our band comes up, I want to just simply ask you this question. Is God first above everyone and everything in your life? And if he's not today, he can be. Let's stand together this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you today for each person that's here. God, you love every person that's listening online. You love every person that's in here. Lord, you created each person that's in here and every, each person that's online with plans and purposes. And Father, all of us have been distracted and tempted and done the wrong thing and said the wrong thing. And we all at some point in our life have been complacent whether, we're, whether we admit it or not. Father, today, maybe there's some of us that you're tapping on the shoulder and saying, hey, what's being said is for me. And if that's you today, when we sing this last song here, would you allow God to speak to your heart? Would you be willing to have the courage that when he points out what it is to do something about it? Father, we love you. You have permission to speak to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.